Hello, Rant fans. It's Dr. Edwards back here again today with another Lunch and Rant. Uh, you're probably wondering what we're going to talk to uh, talk to you guys about today. Well, today uh, the topic is residency and the crazy work hours. So a few years ago, I was talking to my sister, um, and actually this is a crazy story of itself. My sister and I had never met up until 2010. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how's that? Well, my sister was put up for adoption uh, as a baby by my mother, and we had never before met. Nobody would ever found her. My mom had put her up on a closed adoption, and so... After I graduated residency and was just getting ready to go to Japan, I finally decided that yes, now is the time for me to find her. And I was getting help from a nice lady named Pat, who is an adoption investigator. And my husband was looking at me as I was doing this. We were actually on vacation in Hawaii just before leaving the country. And he looks at me, he's like, you're, you're gonna do this now? Like right now? Like before you leave the country for two years, you're just gonna check that grenade over your shoulder and leave? And I was like, yep, that is exactly what I'm gonna do. And I wanna tell you that is very on brand. That is exactly what I did. I met her, I think a day and a half before I left for Japan. And then she got to hang out with my mom for two years before I came back. Um, it did work out great. My sister definitely agrees having known me now for two years that that was on brand. But one of the things that's interesting about my sister is we're very close now and she knows a lot about me, but she has not experienced the going through residency with me as my husband did and as many of my other close friends. Did. So there's a lot of things she doesn't know about residency. And one of the things she didn't know was about the work hours. And I was trying to explain this to her one day and I was like, yeah, you know, you can work uh, a lot of hours, not, not, infrequent that you're working between 60 and 80 hours and she's like like what 16 hours what and I was like you know a week and she's like wait a minute I thought they were trying to limit your work hours and I said oh oh yeah that is the limit it used to be you could work like 120 hours a week and one of my attendings actually told me a story about how he was on call every other day during long stretches of his surgical residency. And what that would mean is he'd come in at 6 a.m. in the morning and start his call. And then he would be on call for 24 hours until the next day at six o'clock when the next team would come on to call, but he wouldn't leave. He usually didn't get to leave until sometime between three and 6 p.m the day following call, and then he would go home and he would fall asleep and he'd basically sleep for 10 hours straight and he'd get up and he'd go back to the hospital and do it all over again. And there's a reason why it's called internship because you're basically an intern in the hospital and residency because you basically live in the hospital. Now that has changed a little bit with the 80 hour a week limitation, but it's not 80 hours every week. It's some weeks, 60 hours, some weeks, 100 hours. It just needs to be an average of 80 hours over, say, depending on the residency, four weeks. Some residences are just like, no, it just needs to average over 80 hours over the entire 52 weeks of the year. So you can imagine that there's a lot of weeks that we work 120 hours, and there's a lot of weeks where maybe we work 60 or 70. Those are considered good weeks. And the other thing that's considered great for residents is when we have what's called a golden weekend, that means there's a weekend where we don't have to come in and round. So we're actually mandated now to get one day off a week. 
So your one day off a week is one day where you have to have from sleepy time to sleepy time with no work. So uh, so the comedy there is that sometimes what that means is that you work uh, six days, 12 hours straight, and then you might the next week have two days off and work five days, 12 hours straight. So usually residents will either switch off like that or they'll work 24 hours on, 24 hours off, 24 hours on. Um, but the end story is that there are 168 hours in a week and we can awfully often be working the vast majority of those hours. Um, certainly at least half, um, often more. And I will tell you that for the majority of my residency and certainly the entirety of my internship, uh, that one day a week was mandated and that is all I got. And we were also mandated to be able to go home at noon post-call. Um, the notion behind residency is that, you used to be, that you're supposed to be able to sleep, but there's no sleeping now in residency. Maybe there was, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I don't know. But during my residency in emergency medicine, um, I was fortunate enough to be in emergency medicine, which means that for the majority of my rotations, I actually had 10 hour shifts that were really more like 12 hour shifts. And we would typically work, you know, five days a week, have one day of um, what would be called, uh, you know, basically our our academic day, which was Thursday. And then you'd have one, maybe sometimes two, if you were lucky, days off during the week. Uh, so, you know, actually in emergency medicine, we consider ourselves very fortunate. Of course, 10 hour shifts really turned into 12 hour shifts because uh, we had to, oh, I'm sorry, actually it was eight hour shifts. I forget, we had, to, we had eight hour shifts, but eight hour shifts turned into 12 hour shifts because of course you'd often stay late taking care of the patients. And additionally, you had to finish your notes. So uh, I, was, I was lucky though. I was lucky because I actually got to go home every night during my emergency medicine residency, as long as I wasn't on trauma call or some other version of 24 seven uh, hospital call, um, I would get to go home. And that was usually about half the year. I was on those kinds of shifts. Sometimes I got to go on really great rotations like um, Awesome was Toxicology, where it was essentially an eight to five kind of day, except for call days. Um, and our call days weren't that often, maybe one in four. <laughs> so so I had sometimes like, I think like two times that rotation, I had a full like 48 hour weekend, completely free to do whatever I wanted to do. That was remarkable and very different. And uh, people are like, oh, you doctors are really fortunate, right? Well, uh, being in military medicine, I probably was, and then I was actually getting paid a pretty decent wage to be in residency. Um, I was probably making somewhere equivalent, considering all the tax benefits and whatnot, somewhere equivalent to $100,000, $110,000 a year, which compared to most residents is a lot of money. Uh, most residents right now are looking at, and this is, by the way, like 10 years later, they're looking at $50,000, maybe $60,000 a year. And bear in mind that at that point, they've had eight plus years of education, four graduate years of education, uh, during which they've probably worked, you know, during medical school, you certainly also had 80 hour a week. So during the last half of your medical school, basically, you're working 80 hours a week. Um, so you're working very hard. 
Uh, and what they're working for does not meet minimum wage requirements. And when you do the math, it actually turns out that it is more lucrative between the hours that you work and what you get paid as a resident and then what you get paid as an attending and what you paid for medical school. It's actually more lucrative monetarily to be a public school teacher, at least in the state of California and several other states that are decently paid that you'll make more money over your lifetime if you are a public school teacher and you are in the, the um, retirement plan that you'll make more money per hour than physicians ever will. And I think that's, that's pretty amazing, right? So this is not a job that we do because we wanna make money and people think we're rich. And I'm telling you, I, I've tried to tell people this over and over again, physicians are not typically rich. There are some who do very well, but for the most part, your average doctor, your family practice doctor, your internal medicine doctor, your emergency medicine doctor, we're not making a ton of money, especially when compared to the amount of debt that we've had to undergo and the amount of time that we've had to delay making any money at all. Most people come out of medical school and residency with absolutely no savings and in a great deal of debt, usually somewhere around half a million to $600,000 in debt now. Um, cause usually you have to borrow money to live during your residency cause you can't make enough money during residency to live in the cities you have to live in. Um, and you, we work incredibly hard and we don't get sleep. And what does this mean to you? Well, <laughs> great news for you, your doctor, when you're in the hospital, when you're in a, what's called a tertiary medical center, like UCLA, USC, um, New York university hospital, Harvard's hospital, uh, you know, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, these really great hospitals, your doctors, the doctors that are actually taking care of you are dead tired all the time and they're really angry and they don't want to be doing this anymore. Uh, we, you know, this is called quote unquote burnout. That's not what it is, but uh, it's exploitation, it's moral injury. Uh, they've been working way too much, seeing way too many patients, doing way too much, and doing a lot of work that has nothing to do with your care, but actually has to do with making it possible for the hospital to build your insurance company, for them to get paid to continue working on your care. Uh, this is not healthy. This is not healthy for physicians on a long-term basis. Um, it leads to a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of suicidality. So if you can imagine investing that much money, time, and energy into making a physician, which is about 1% of the population can become, and roughly one in a thousand people actually do become physicians. Uh, that's a lot of social energy to put into somebody who then, as a result of their training, commits suicide. Um, not to bring you down, but suicide isn't funny, and there's no way to make it funny. Um, that means our doctors are actually pretty ill in a lot of ways. And, you know, people don't think of mental illness as a, as an illness, but it is, it is. And it's actually potentially a lethal illness as lethal as cancer could ever be. Um, and we need to treat it accordingly. And so, uh, so doctors aren't getting that. And if they're not getting that, if they're not getting sleep, that means they're not firing at all cylinders, firing on all cylinders when they take care of you in the hospital. Um, and I don't know, know what you think about what we do, but primarily what we do is think. Uh, we think, we access our memories, sometimes we look stuff up, we're certainly learning all the time, and residency is probably the most active time of our learning, but we're always and forever learning. 
And so breaking us at an early stage in our careers does not lead to better care in the long term. And the most beaten down doctors are the ones that you most need in an emergency. So that's surgeons, that's critical care doctors, that's uh, internal medicine doctors, which are the majority of the hospitalists, family practice doctors, many of whom also work as hospitalists and work as um, primary care doctors, and some, many actually work in the emergency department too. And uh, emergency medicine doctors, if I didn't mention them, obviously are the you know, cornerstone now of acute care. So they're broken. Um, and I don't want to imply that uh, every physician out there is broken, because not all of us are, but, but we're hurting for sure. And we could definitely use your support and maybe some push to change some of this. I mean, you wouldn't want a pilot flying a plane after being awake solidly for 24 hours. I don't think you'd want people making decisions for you after being awake for solidly 24 hours. But that's currently how we do it. So uh, if you'd like to try an experiment, I want you to stay awake for 24 hours and then read some professional article on something in your field, whatever it may be, and then take a test on it and make sure it's new material that you don't know. Um, so it's gotta be new to you, uh, something you don't know after you've been there right for 24 hours, read it and then try to take a test on it. Maybe a verbal test, maybe a written test and see how much you really understood or how well you do. Or for that matter, try to put together a complicated model after you've been up 24 hours. Then you wanna see some comedy, right? Compare people who are really drunk to people who are sleep deprived and have them do some cognitive tests. Uh, guess who does worse? It's actually the people who usually are sleep deprived. Um, you know, if you check somebody with a 0.08 alcohol level against somebody who hasn't slept in 24 hours, the cognitive impairment of the person who hasn't slept is worse than the person who's drunk. And, uh, you know, if you don't want somebody who's drunk taking care of you, you probably don't want somebody who's sleep deprived taking care of you. So that's it. That's for me as another lunch and rant. Um, oh, it's not just residents, by the way, who are sleep deprived, but we can come back to that another day. Um, this has been another lunch and rant on uh, the part of Dr. Edwards. Thank you so much for joining us. Please like episodes, share episodes, let your friends and family know what's going on in medicine and why it matters to you. And thanks for listening. This is Dr. Edwards.